All right, so we're in this great series called Is It Well With My Soul? Uh, has anybody been doing some soul checking to see how well you are? Let me see, anybody? Are we making a difference here? Two people, okay, thank you so much. Um, this morning I want to talk to you about something that seems obvious but may not be as obvious as it seems. And that is the fact that our soul needs to be loved and our soul needs to love. I know it seems like the obvious thing to talk about, God is love, but I want to break it down a little bit for you today. Because honestly, if you were to talk to most people um, and talk about marriages and talk about family and parenting, I think most people would say that we live our lives looking for love. And in fact, we live our lives in our biggest fear, which is the fear of rejection, which is the biggest enemy of love, fear. And this deeply impacts our ability to love. And so the thing we face daily is how to love well. In the midst of this world where we experience disappointments and we all have fears of being rejected and in fact sometimes we feel rejected, only love will push us past that fear of rejection. So what I want to remind you of today is that our souls, I would say first and foremost, are made for love. We're made in God's image and God is love. God is love. It was His love that created us. It was out of the love of the Trinity that man came forth. We were created out of the love that defines the Trinity of God, the oneness that the members of the Trinity have. And we were created by God's act of love, by choosing to share himself with humans. That is love. And that's how we were made. And that's why we were made. Souls made in his image. And so I believe that at the very depths of each one of us, our soul longs for love. To be loved, but also to love. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So we see that out of God's love and out of his oneness, number one in your notes, is that God expressed his love by creating us. We are his love children, if you will. Why don't you turn to somebody and say, you're God's love child. Come on. You can say that. Because every one of us, starting with Adam and Eve, were made with love. Jesus said in John 15:9, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. You know, just like Thomas and Amanda brought their family this morning and brought little Mila to be dedicated, she's the beautiful expression of their love for one another. And this love is sacred. And raising her is a sacred trust. And God created marriage and God created the family for this sacred trust. And it represents Him. So marriage is sacred and by definition... Marriage is between a man and a woman because marriage represents God's image of oneness. And that's the only place you find that true representation, this loving union called marriage that becomes the place where human life is created. When a man and a woman become one in their love, they create life. It's a sacred reenactment of God proclaiming, let us make human beings in our own image to be like us out of love comes life remember that 
That's why marriage is sacred. Sexual intimacy is sacred. And whether we violate it with adultery or violate it with, you know, pornography and masturbation or whether we violate it with fornication, which is marriage, which is sex outside of marriage or homosexuality or bestiality. We chuckle, but I knew a guy. Okay. So that happens. We were created out of love. This love is sacred and for love. We need to be loved and we need to love. And God gave us the places to do that called marriage and called the family of God and called friendship, called community. So love is the greatest force on the planet. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, doesn't matter how great you think you are. Three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is it's love. Okay, the greatest of these is love. So love is the greatest, again, because who is love? God. God is love. He created us for love, and he expressed his love by creating us. Secondly, God proved his love for us by sending Jesus to seek and save us. So not only did he, get, he express his love for us by creating us, but then he proved his love for us by sending Jesus to bring us back to himself. Luke 19, for the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. You know, as I've met with people now for the better part of 30, 35 years about love and about becoming well in our souls, everyone wants to be pursued. That's what I've discovered about people. Every one of us, we long to be pursued. It's the deepest desire of our soul. You know, Rob and Donna came and sat in the front row this morning, and Rob gave me a big hug, and, and I found myself becoming emotional because you're friends of mine. And I felt pursued. I know that sounds funny, okay, but I'm human too. And here were my friends in the front row, you know, and it was just a wonderful feeling. Thank you for sitting by me today. <laughs> I'm as fragile as the rest of you. Or if you're Italian, fragile, right? Everyone wants to be pursued. It's the deepest desire of our soul to be known, to be pursued by somebody who loves us. And and that's how God pursued us. And that's why his love is so powerful, because his love comes out of his desire to reconcile us to himself, for us to realize the full impact of his love. I'm convinced that myself included, we go through life realizing just the partial impact of God's love because we sort of do this to God. I want you, but I'm afraid of what that could mean. And God wants us to experience the full impact of his love. 1 John 4.10, this is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. You know, I talk a lot with men, and what I'm going to say now definitely has to do with both men and women. We're all built this way, but because I talk a lot with men through the fire and through Freedom Session and and different places, the theme I hear often from men is that the reason for much of their pain in life and their struggle in life is that their fathers did not pursue them well, is that at some level, you know, their father provided for them with the basic needs, food and shelter, And some playtime, but for many men, the father was at least partly absent from their life, a bit detached, if you will. 
um, maybe working too much, which the benefit was we had enough to live on, right? But difficult because sometimes they were absent emotionally. Uh, that was my experience, as I've shared with you many times. Just men that were not present emotionally. So now these men that I talk to, and most men, including myself, we feel at risk. The fear of rejection, of, of not being enough to deserve emotional connection. And so we live our lives with our wives, our families. And for you women, you could say with your husbands. We live our lives kind of in this shadow of what if I'm not enough to deserve connection with someone, to deserve emotional, you know, interaction. And so when we experience that kind of rejection, sometimes we react in anger because we're hurt. Uh, Sometimes we feel at risk. Um, Sometimes the anger is aggressive, but... More than likely, the anger is withdrawing or creating distance between ourselves and those that we love. And so this emotional withdrawal cycle continues. And I'm here to ask the question this morning, who's going to break the cycle? For men, but also for women. Who's going to be the one that that presses in and pursues those people in your life that God has given you to pursue? Women as well, you can ask this question. And on the other hand, some men felt the most pursued by their parents when dad was angry. And we got the pursuit of disapproval. And for some of us, and kids figure this out, that the way to get attention is to be bad. And negative attention is better than no attention. And so sometimes you'll have kids that, and not everybody, but some kids will act out because they simply want to be loved by their father, their mother, their friend, whoever it may be. And so that is why God's pursuit for us is so powerful and so important. And it fills such a need in our soul because really, at the end of the day, what we need the most doesn't come from human relationships at all. But it comes from the one who made us and the one who wants to fill us. Now, God has given us human relationships to receive and give that love. And in Christ, hopefully we do that very well. But God also knows that what we need more than anything is His love directly from Him. And so I find what I like to call a steady pressure on our soul. That God provides a steady pressure on our soul that He hopes one day we'll respond to. And then day by day we'll respond to more and more. You know, yesterday I was honored to do a memorial service for a 50-year-old man, combat vet, wounded in Iraq, Purple Heart, and we had all the military you can imagine out for this yesterday. It was very powerful, very honoring, very touching. And this man had lost his own father when he was four years old to death, raised by his mom in the Catholic Church, sprinkled as a baby, baptized. And he had a great knowledge of God. And through his lifetime, he was really a loving friend, a good man, good father, good husband. But I would say he hadn't responded fully to the pressure that God had on his soul. Hadn't responded fully to Christ's pursuit of him. Now, he knew he was dying, and so on August 4th, and he he did not go to church anywhere, but on August 4th, he showed up here at North County Christ the King. And he listened as Becky preached that morning, and Becky shared about placing your trust in God. If you remember, it was on Esther placing your trust on God, sacrificing yourself 
for your friends, which he knew how to do. And coming home to the Father's love. Do you remember that message? And there was a part where Becky shared about her bird, Francis. Do you remember this? Where she opens the cage every morning and Francis comes and nestles into her neck. And while she does devotions, Francis goes to sleep and just finds some more rest and feels safe in her presence. And her point was that God our Father wants us to come home to Him and find our safety in His presence and to trust Him with our life and with our eternity. And this man responded that morning. And he received Christ. And we know he did because he signed a card saying, I received Christ and I would like to be baptized. And so we reached out to him. And I can't tell you the whole story, but there's clearly some God things that happened in this story, including our preschool and Shanaki, the teacher, and a bunch of stuff that just made this a remarkable story. And so I reached out to him. We reached out to him, called him, sent an email, and he didn't respond. And we found out later it's because he... He dove. I mean, his, his, his cancer, you know, brought him down very quickly. And so we got a phone. Actually, we didn't get a phone call. His friend came to pick up their daughter at preschool on September 24th. And that morning, his friend said to Shanaki, Hey, this man is dying and uh, would love to have somebody come out and pray with him. Keep in mind, I've never met him. Uh, I just know that he signed a card, right? And so we go out there, 1.30, 1.45, Tuesday afternoon, September 24th. And there he is. He's in his hospice bed, uh, deteriorated, awake and alert, but not able to speak, filled with cancer, esophageal cancer, all kinds of cancer. And he's on the way out. And so I, I talked to him and I just said, hey, you know, you signed a card saying you gave your heart to Christ uh, would would you like me to pray over you and pray with you? And, and he couldn't really respond, so I just took the card at its word, you know, prayed over him, affirmed his salvation, affirmed his eternal life, affirmed his decision to come to church and to receive Christ as his Savior. And then I said, you indicated that you wanted to be baptized. Would you like me to baptize you? And again, he couldn't really respond. Eyes wide open, not shaking his head, no, not, nothing like that. I didn't want to take advantage of the situation, you understand, but yet I wanted to honor his request. And so I asked his wife for a glass of water from the tap, and I sprinkled him. And I'm a dunker, right? But I sprinkled him in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. And four hours later, this man had gone to be in the presence of the Lord. And I tell you that story to say that God had applied a steady pressure to this man's life for his whole life. God had applied this pressure. And the right moment came and God arranged the circumstances. And this is how much God loves. God arranged the circumstances for this man to come to the place where he knew he needed to reestablish his relationship with Jesus and receive Christ as his Savior. He knew that no matter how good he'd been, It wasn't good enough. And so he received Christ. Now, that's not the end of the story. I got to call his mom, who lives on the East Coast, lives in a care facility, could not come out for the the funeral. And I'd never met her. So I say, hello, missus. And she says, who are you? That's exactly what she said. Who are you? Told her who I was. Told her I'd just gotten to pray with her son 
to commit his heart to Christ. And she knew he had just died. And she thanked me over the phone. Thank you so much for being there for you. And, <laughs> and then I said, well, and I got to baptize him. And, and there was a silence on the phone. And she goes, he's been baptized. <laughs> and I said, and she goes, he was sprinkled as a baby. And I said, oh, no worries. I didn't undo anything you've done. <laughs> I simply affirmed his salvation. I simply agreed with his heart. And she goes, oh, that's great. Thank you so much. And so we saw not only a reconciliation of a man's heart to Christ, but a reconciliation of an elderly mother's heart regarding her son. And what a beautiful thing that God did. It was really remarkable. And so I got to walk about 200 people through this story yesterday. And it was so cool. It was so wonderful to see God tell his story. But it just reminds me of what it says in Romans 5. It says, when we're utterly helpless... Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person. Though someone might be willing to die for a person who's especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Amen? Somebody please say amen to that. And since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. That's the kind of love that God has for us in Christ. Not only does he want to give us eternal life, but he wants to extend friendship to us. Literally, he wants us to walk with him as a friend of his. Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. God continues to pursue us with this steady pressure on our life, daily relationship, daily interaction with the Holy Spirit. God longs for us to open up and share our life with him and share our heart with him. When we can't find acceptance and approval anywhere else, we can find it with him. Amen? And he is the best place and, and honestly the only place to turn many times. And he will be enough for us when we're disappointed by someone, when we're facing rejection by someone, by our family, even our church sometimes. We can feel that rejection. But Jesus always met people where they're at, always. And that's why he was called the friend of sinners. And I want you to notice this this morning, that Jesus didn't require people to be perfect or even good. While he pursued them and while he befriended them. He befriended them while they were sinners. He didn't wait till they cleaned up and came to church. Now he didn't leave them that way. He would walk with them to restoration. He loves us in our condition. And then he loves us out of our condition. Amen. Isn't that great? I was badder at one time than I am today. I can still be bad today. But I was badder at one time, right? And Jesus loves us out of that condition. He did that with Matthew. Let me just read this to you so you're reminded of this. Jesus was walking along. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple. Didn't even get him saved first. Okay, let me, let me teach you. So Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and the disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with such scum? 
When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifice. For I've come to call those, not those who think they're righteous, but those who know they are sinners. And I'm happy to report that's the condition of North County Christ the King. That we are a church that welcomes people who are in the midst of their sinful condition. But then with Jesus, with the help of the Holy Spirit, we partner with people to hopefully walk to change in our hearts and change in our lives. That's our desire. So I want you to remember this morning as we talk about how our soul longs to be loved, that God loves us so much that he abides in us. Now again, we take this for granted, but imagine a most holy God. Next week I'm going to talk to you about how our soul desperately needs holiness. So how a most holy God can live in a sinful heart that was described by the prophets as being full of deceit and extremely wicked. How can a holy God live in this heart? But he does it, and he fills us with his love, and he does it because Christ is in us. Amen? So he lives in that, the holiness that's provided by Christ, the righteousness of Christ. He fills us with his love. And Romans 5.5 5 says, We know how dearly God loves us because he's given us his Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. So if you ever find yourself feeling empty, it may be that you don't need something that the world has to offer or something that even human relationship has to offer. But what you really need more than anything is his love and a fuller expression of his love and time spent with him and his love. That is sometimes, if not often, the the very thing that we need for our condition. And the great thing is about spending time with Jesus and living in the love of the Holy Spirit is that over time we change. It's called sanctification. We become more like him. You know, when the religious people criticize Jesus for eating with sinners, Jesus tells them this story. And it's the story of the prodigal. It's in Luke chapter 15. And we call it the prodigal son. But many people, and I think rightly so, have called it the prodigal father. And the word prodigal means to spend resources Freely and extravagantly. Now we know the son is called prodigal because he spent the resources recklessly. And that's another word. But the father is not reckless at all. The father is a calculated risk taker. The father is a precision planner. Before the foundations of the earth, God had planned for our salvation. He knew you in your mother's womb. That's not reckless. That's planning. And he knows that it's his kindness and his love that will lead us to respond and choose him. And so he gives us time and he gives us leeway to do that. But you know the story. The son asks for his inheritance early and then he squanders it. And I want to remind you this morning that the offense in this case was in the asking. The boy wanted the inheritance and in that day the inheritance only came when the father died. So in other words, the boy was saying, I wish you were dead. Or at the very least, give me my money now and let me have it now. And so the father gave him his inheritance. And again, the the son squanders it on wine, women and song. And he ends up feeding the pigs in a foreign land. And for being a Jewish boy, this was like one of the worst places you could end up in an unclean pig pen with an unclean animal. And he winds up eating the very pods that he's feeding the pigs. 
So you can imagine how ashamed he felt of his life and where he had ended up, even unfit to worship God. And I love this picture because to me it's a vivid picture of what we often do with our souls. We squander our souls sometimes. We've given ourselves to the lesser loves. We are sons and daughters made in His image. And sometimes we sell out to the world. We sell out to the culture. We sell out to its values, its beliefs. And we try to find meaning in the world, in its values. And so we end up with souls like this son who are starving, literally starving for the love. Not pods, not beans. Starving for love. This drives us home. It's our hunger that drives us home. It's the hunger that drew this, drove this man home who ended up in our church on August 4th. And the son says, I'd be better off at home as a servant in my father's house than living with these pigs. So he ends for home, heads for home. And it's the homecoming I want to focus on today. Because this homecoming is what shows us the father's heart for his son. It's what shows us the love of God for our soul. Many of you have heard this before, but I just pray this morning it will bring home fresh meaning for you if you have felt empty and starving for some love. While he was far off, Father saw him and was filled with compassion. I want you to know this morning, and maybe you're here like our friend was August 4th. Maybe you're here and you have not said yes, placed your trust, come home to Jesus. I want you to know this morning that your Father sees you coming. Like you're not a surprise to Him. He sees you coming. And He's glad when He sees you coming. The next line of the story is He runs to His Son. And this is not done. The master of the house, the master of the estate in those days would not run. He would have had to hike up His skirt and His robes and shown his legs, which was not done. But this shows the desire of the master to have you home. And again, remember, Jesus was responding to the question, Why do you eat with scum? So Jesus says the master would hike up his skirts to run to meet the scum. And then I want you to notice that when the son gets home, the father has the right of retribution, the right to punish, even has the right to stone because the son had broken one of the Ten Commandments. But he wants to restore and he longs for reconciliation. So instead of retribution, he runs to his son, he hugs his son, he kisses his son, and he throws a party. He kills the fatted calf. God sounds Italian to me. What do you think? Like, I'm thinking this sounds really, really Italian. And he calls for a robe and a ring and shoes, which signify restored sonship. Now, get this. The son had squandered his sonship, his inheritance. And when he comes home, the father calls for restored sonship. And the son deserves none of those. But the father gives them to him. Now, let me tell you what these... Items mean three items. The robe is for righteousness. The father makes him right with himself. And that's what Jesus does for us. Isaiah said, he's clothed me with the garments of salvation. He's covered me with the robe of righteousness. 
So when the Father runs to you, the first thing He does is covers you with righteousness, cleans you up with the blood of Christ, cleanses you from all unrighteousness. That's the starting point for us. And then He gives His ring. And the ring stands for identity and authority. The ring is the family... Uh, the family seal, the family sign. And so when there's documents to be signed or there's things that require a signature, they don't sign their name, they seal it with the ring. Now, we lived in Taiwan for a couple of years, and I can tell you that I could not get a driver's license until I got a chop. They would not allow me to sign my name to receive a driver's license. I had to have a chop, which is a, a seal. So I had a chop made in my Chinese name, And when I went to get my driver's license, they had to ink it and stamp it. They would not receive a signature. And the chop or the ring is a sign of identity that this is who you say you are. And this ring gets passed from father to son. And I want you to notice this ring bypassed the older son, which is a remarkable part of the story. So the father gives his son full ability to sign and to be authority for the family estate. And then he gives him shoes. You know, the son came home barefoot. Barefoot was a sign of slavery or indentured servanthood. He had given himself to this man in this other country. And so he comes home and he expects to remain a slave, but the father says, oh no, you're not a slave in my home. Bring him some shoes. And so the father puts back On the son's feet, the shoes that signify sonship and signify you are not a slave. But you receive the full rights of sonship when you come home to me. Now, I want you to remember, this is in response to a son who says, I wish you were dead. It seems to me that God apparently is fond of sinners. Are you glad about that this morning? I want you to catch this in your soul. I know we know it here. Catch this in your soul that God is fond of sinners. And he wants us to come home to him. Now again, the father was obviously grieved over his son's sinful ways and hurtful ways and and the terrible things he had done. Of course the father was grieved. Some of us are fathers. Some of us are mothers. We understand this. We can be grieved over the actions of our children and at the same time have such a deep love and affection for our children that all we want is what's best for them. Is that true? That's what we want as parents. And so what the father wanted and what he knew was best for his son was restored relationship and reconciliation with himself. And I believe that when we talk about the love of the father, Jesus wants us to understand that even the worst of our sins do not keep God from reconciling with us in Christ. If we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This parable is about a God who pursues, a God who accepts us in our condition, shoeless, loves us into reconciliation, and then restores us fully. And out of that love, we can love. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. It's not complicated. Every soul in this room today, as I look around the room, every one of you are longing to be loved. 
You're longing to know and, and to be known at the very depths of your soul. You're longing to be welcomed into relationship with the God who made you. And when this world fails to love us, and our family fails to love us, and sometimes even our church fails to love us, God says, let me love you. You can trust my love. I love this in 1 John 4. It says, we know how much God loves us. We've put our trust in his love. God is love. And all who live in love live in God. And God lives in us. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we'll not be afraid on the day of judgment. But we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. I want you to notice this, that when we fully receive the love, acceptance, and approval of our Father, it frees us to fully love those people in our lives, even in the fear of rejection, even when we've been hurt, even when we've been disappointed. We can respond with love, with honesty, with truthfulness, but with love. And that brings me to number three today, our last point together. We reveal God's love to a lost world by loving each other. We reveal God's love to a lost world by how we love, how we react, how we respond when we feel at risk of rejection reveals God's love to a lost world. This has been a challenge of mine over years and years of marriage and of parenting where I've had to relearn the vows I made as a child when I said, I will never trust my father again. When I said those words, it also set me up to never trust people and, in fact, to not trust God. And so over the years, the Holy Spirit has had to teach me that even when I'm hurt, even when I'm disappointed, I don't have to give way to distance or to you know, making myself separate or protecting myself. I still struggle with that, I'll be honest. But the definition of love is living in a way that brings about growth and health in other people's souls. And that can be tricky. That can be tricky because that involves speaking truth in love. If you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. It's true. Loving can be tricky. It involves discipline, but Hebrews 12 tells us that the father disciplines the children that he loves, and he does it in a loving way. And we do that for one another. And if he doesn't, in fact, it proves that we're not his children. So discipline and love is a good thing. And so as parents, sometimes as children, as spouses, as members of a church, Sometimes we get the opportunity to bring discipline to one another. And our hope is that it's done in love, that we speak the truth in a loving way that, that leaves the door open for relationship. Doesn't, doesn't slam doors, but leaves the door open to relationship. And as we do this and we continue to love through the process, we reveal God's love. I can tell you the world is watching to see how we respond, how we react when we're hurt. I want to leave you with this scripture today. John 15. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I loved you. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. How did Jesus love us? Let's think think this through this morning. How did Jesus love us? With pursuit, right? He pursued us. 
with sacrifice, with forgiveness, with restoration, and with truth. And this was in the face of rejection. This was while being hung on a cross. Doesn't get much worse than that. That's when Jesus loved us. And so your soul, my soul, is built to love this way, to love like Jesus, even when life disappoints. God wants us to fully receive his love so that we can fully love each other. And this pushes us past the fear of rejection to this place of sacrificial love. And we are his friends when we love like him. Would you stand with me this morning? I want to pray for you. Pray for me. Worship team is going to come. Our souls need to be loved. And our souls need to love. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we come in response to your word today, we thank you for such a great love that you have for us. We thank you that you will take us to the very last days of our life and you will call us to respond to the pressure of love that you've placed in our lives. And you will continue to pursue us until our last breath. Jesus, thank you for such a great love. And today, Lord, as we come, we just pray that we would open our hearts to receive. And if we've been hurt in the past and even have perceived hurt from you, God, we would open our hearts to receive the truth about you. And that is you love us perfectly. Even though you allow pain in our life, you love us perfectly. Even though you allow us to become the prodigal and go and squander our lives, you love us perfectly and you run to us when we come back home. And you hug us. You restore us. We thank you for such a great love. And I pray this morning that we'd open our hearts fully to that love as we worship you today. In Jesus' name.